A couple of weeks have gone by since we were required to put our kids back into the classroom by the Spanish government. No choice given, no excuse valid, fines and jail time based on pre-COVID-19 legislation being quoted, and above all, that strange doublespeak that education is a child's right, along with education is obligatory from 6 to 16 years of age. In the announcement of how the government means to get kids back in school, general norms expected from each community are explained. We are told about mask wearing, obligatory from around six years of age, but not so if the kids are in a closed, established group of students with no contacts with other groups or individual students. These are being called bubble groups. Masks are also not necessary if that magical 1.5 meter distance between kids can be established as social distance that kids maintain so well. There is also the same old, same old about personal hygiene, washing hands frequently, ventilating classrooms, deep cleaning of spaces with a certain frequency at least once a day. Classes that cannot be confined to bubble groups need to have desks separated by 1.5 meters of empty space, posters and signs and floor stickers amiable to kids, along with COVID-19 health education, should be included. This is the stuff we've seen on television, teachers with tape measures trying to fit 20 desks into an area designed to hold 30. Those same teachers pushing items to the outer corners of the classroom to leave more space. Those plexiglass boxes stuck onto each desk. Until the weather gets colder, those picnic tables outside, those class sessions in the school patio, the school gym, if there is one, there isn't always, filled with desks, that floor taped out into social distance spaces. Will any of this work? Well, today in my region of Aragon, 65 of those bubble group classrooms were closed because of student infection. That makes, since school began a couple of weeks ago, 133 classrooms closed in 85 schools. We're only at the beginning of the school year. Use your Google machine to find more statistics of this type. There are plenty. Schools open for three days, only to be closed down again. Individual students found positive for COVID-19 and all of their classmates sent home to spend two weeks in confinement until it's more or less clear that they are not going to either get sick or spread the illness outside of their family bubble. That's the reality. Now, let's go back to that strange item I mentioned at the beginning. In Spain, education is considered both a right and an obligation. Kids up to the age of 16 have the right to be educated. Parents of those children have the obligation to send their kids to school. It just doesn't fit into my head the rights of one group being the obligation of another. Back when I was learning the concept of rights, the first time it was clearly explained to me, that would be in my sophomore year in high school, one has the right to swing their arm about with the hand clenched into a fist on the end. However, that right ends when that fist comes into contact with another's nose. A right, as that social studies teacher tried to explain to us, is only a right until it infringes upon the right of another. In the example, while I have the right to swing my fisted arm about, that other person has the right to the integrity of his nose. If my fist breaks his nose, I have lost my right to swing my arm, since I have obliged him to lose the right to his rhino integrity. 
So if kids have the right to be educated, they only have that right up to the point that they begin to infringe upon the rights of others. By forcing parents to send their kids to school, C or C, as we say in Spanish, no ifs, ands, or buts, that right to education is in some way infringing upon the rights of the parents, in this case to keep their children safe from a mysterious illness that may or may not make their kids sick, may or may not make the entire family sick, may or may not end up in someone dead. The right to live is being infringed upon by the right to an education. Because that is where many parents here in Spain are. They are uneasy sending their kids to schools in the current chaotic logistics set up, or better put, not set up, by the government. With the simplistic rules of washing hands, taking temperatures at the door, squirting hand gel, separating desks, adding plastic boxes, keeping them in their seats, in the classroom, in their marked out space in the playground, none of those having the desired effect of protecting their children from COVID-19, it is understandable that the parents are more than hesitant to send their kids into that social setting known as school. What's more, those parents are well aware of the complications involved in their day-to-day -day lives if their kid is in one of those bubble groups that has been earmarked for quarantine because one of the kids in the group has tested positive. Those parents have already spent hours trying to get the safety protocols into their kids' heads, bought them a tiny bottle of hand gel, a mask for class, a spare mask just in case, a mask holder to keep the masks in while they're eating at their desks inside that plastic box. They are leaving their kids at the school and going to their jobs, jobs that they tried doing from home a couple of months ago, but which their bosses have insisted they return to in person. Then the mother gets a phone call. It's the school director. Her kid is waiting for her to come pick him up because his bubble group has been ordered home for 14 days because a classmate has tested positive. She hangs up and sighs. She calls her husband, but he doesn't pick up, doesn't always answer because he's at work too and can't always take a call. She sends him a wasp with the news. All the while she is trying to relax her throat muscles, trying to figure out the best way to explain to her boss that she has to close down her computer, pass that report she hasn't finished over to her mate at work, go pick up her kid, and spend the next 14 days locked up in her home with him, and probably with her daughter as well. What will the boss say? That's too bad. Of course I understand. Don't worry about the report. Of course we'll have to put you on a temporary leave or a layoff, or if you want, you can use some of your vacation days to cover the days you're not at work. You know, things have been hard since we had to slow down for those three months in March and April. As she walks down to the parking lot and sits in her car, reaches absently over to squirt some disinfectant gel on her hands before touching the steering wheel, she wonders if she will really have a job when these two weeks are over. I fortunately only worked in the school system here for one year. I didn't care for it at all. It was a religious school run by progressive nuns, nuns who dressed severely but not in habits, just boring skirts, white button-down masculine shirts, and dark cardigans with the school badge over the right breast. I remember the headmistress, also the head nun, explaining the school policy on punishment to me and my fellow ESL teachers. Most of it was based on copying. If a student misbehaved, we were told to put them in a corner and make them copy something, anything, from any textbook on hand. I think she would have liked to have given each of us our own freshly cut supple switch, but Spain has become more modern.
It was a lucrative contract my boss had snatched up just that year. The Spanish government, for reasons that many never got around to understanding, decided that kids could not be in school taking classes after 12 noon until the afternoon session, which began at 3. Before that change, kids were in school until 1, ran home, had lunch with their parents, then returned to school at 3. There was suddenly a one-hour void in the school-work-familial conciliation. Parents did not get off work at 12. Kids had nowhere to go for the hour between getting out of class and being able to get into the house, and besides, no one would be there to pick them up after school. The solution was to give most kids an extracurricular activity for that hour. In my case, the parents opted for paying a bit extra and having a private academy send ESL teachers to spend that hour with their kids doing English activities. These couldn't be considered classes, as we were not civil servants. Teachers in Spain are civil servants. Although most of us ran them like classes, as the activity took place in a classroom, we were given the regular English course plan to follow, and the kids sat in their desks in rows for an additional hour while waiting for their parents to finish up that last morning hour of work and get to the school to pick them up and take them home for lunch. The experience was nightmarish. I started out in a group of seven-year-olds, which was not too bad. They had not yet begun to rebel against the structured, confined tradition of the schoolroom. They were still eager to learn and participate, did not feel the pressure of getting a good grade, passing a test, finishing the homework. They were a little rambunctious, but I was a friendly, strict teacher who commanded respect by giving them what I knew they both needed and appreciated. Knowledge, new information, curious things that could be used, and genuine vocational affection. Unfortunately, I had developed such a good reputation over the years with keeping groups of troublesome kids in their seats without too much effort that, when another teacher began complaining that her group was out of hand, I was switched to that group to see if I could do my magic there as well. Now I was with 11-year-old kids. They bullied one another. They were snide and mean. They didn't care. They were resentful that their parents had chosen the English activity instead of the theater activity or the even more fun soccer activity. They saw how some of their classmates were outside playing with a ball while they were cooped up another hour in this classroom just because no one was available to pick them up, take them home, and release them into lunchtime. They were trapped in that right to an education, but even here, that right was infringing on their right to actually learn, experience, enjoy their existence. One of the earliest rights in the history of human rights just happened to be what we know as habeas corpus. That right we used to teach 8th graders for the Constitution test. I had to pass that test in order to get into high school. Anyone else? That right that basically means that we cannot be locked away without being able to argue our reasons for not being locked away before an authority that can decide the validity of the lockaway. That would basically be being taken before a judge who can say, This guy hasn't done anything. Why have you put him in a cell? Those kids were not given habeas corpus. Kids don't usually get that right right off. They're kind of at the mercy of the taller people around them. Parents, teachers, coaches, pastors or priests, older brothers and sisters. What about that mother, though? Who has she been allowed to argue her case to? She's picked up her son, who is pouting in the back seat of the car, and they are waiting for her daughter to be released from her class as well. It's been decided that if the boy is going to be in quarantine, his sister will need to be kept at home as well. 
She asks him how he's doing, and he just keeps pouting. He was so excited to be back in school, and being locked up at home again is the last thing he would like to do for two weeks. It was hard enough back in March, fighting with his sister for time on the family computer, trying to do homework on the tiny desk in his cramped bedroom. No one in the house understood his tasks. No one could help him. So boring. The daughter is not in any better of a mood. She naturally blames her little brother, even though he, like she, is an accidental victim of the situation. They will be locked away for fourteen days without habeas corpus. They cannot argue their case. And their mother was not given the option of arguing the probable lock-away before it happened, because her children's right to an education somehow superseded her right to protect her children, her family as a whole, from a mysterious disease. Her right to work is also superseded, and she has no right to habeas corpus on that front either. Her boss will be back by the current labor laws if he decides to fire her, or hold back her wages, or force her to take those vacation days. No changes have been made to those laws to protect either the mother or her husband from the consequences of having to miss work for two solid weeks, and we can be sure that the employer will not take on the responsibility of the losses. He will simply find someone else who hasn't got kids to muck up the works, to keep at work, keep the economy working. The apartment is small. There are three bedrooms. That's good. The parents have one. The girl has one about half that size, and the boy has one about half the size of his sister's. If the boy gets sick, well, he can be confined to his room. The same with the girl. If the mother gets sick, then the boy and girl will have to share a room while the mother sleeps in the boy's bed. If everyone gets sick, well, no problem. The entire household is in quarantine. No need to separate. If the kids don't get sick, but mom and dad do, that's kind of hard to manage. How are either going to take care of their kids if they are sick and contagious? And none of these people seem to have the right to be brought before the authorities that are condemning them to this lockaway to argue their case. The mother could not contact the authorities and explain that she would need a special leave from work with partial compensation in order to keep her two kids at home and homeschool them, giving them the support needed to get through distance learning and get those basic ideas learned that go with their age and educational development. Not the main export products of all the countries of Africa along with their governmental systems and capital cities. How about the soft things that everyone needs to know? How to read and understand what you've read? How to use math in everyday life? How to negotiate with a boss for time off without threat of loss of job? Unfortunately, that same mother had to decide what to do with her two kids at 12 noon, since a few years ago, for reasons that we can suspect but which remain pretty much a mystery, kids cannot take class after 12. Well, she chose to dish out a bit of extra money for the older daughter to take the extra English classes and let her son do the soccer activity this year. She couldn't ask her boss to let her off work an hour earlier to pick up her kids. She would need somewhere to keep them for those five hours a week for which the school no longer served. She didn't learn in her own schooling how to read legislation, how to understand her rights, how to defend her rights as a woman, as a mother, as a working person, as a tax-paying citizen. 
Even were she offered that basic right of habeas corpus, she wouldn't know what to do with it, how to argue for her freedom, because she did not learn in that same educational system that is currently putting her children and her family and her community and her city and her region and her entire country and the world at large at risk, what to do with that freedom, what to do with those rights. Life liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, among others. That's what Americans think are their basic rights, along with those generally outlined in the first ten amendments, as well as those added later on. I think there is one right missing, though. The right to stand in habeas corpus before the authority and argue that what they are asking is not their right anymore because it infringes upon the individual right. That's something really missing in today's education. It might need to be the cornerstone for the revolution that education will need to undertake as a cornerstone to our social structure. Perhaps it even needs to cease to be a cornerstone to that social structure. Just the word social is becoming dangerous, not for the historical reasons always blamed, but rather because it is the cornerstone of the current pandemic. Okay, going to leave it there for now. I saw bad education the other day, and my mate who saw it with me was a little surprised at some of the basic concepts in the plot that I simply took for granted. That was going to be part of today's episode, but I really wanted to focus on the rights theme, so I think I'll come back to that in a future episode. Cheers! You're listening to Radio Revolve.